Welcome to the Script and Style Show, the web show where we talk about web development with the people that make it happen. Today's episode is brought to you by TrackJS JavaScript Error Monitoring. Know when errors hit your website with the context to find and fix bugs fast with TrackJS. Start your free trial today at trackjs.com. So today we have a, a special guest. We have Mr. Scott Helm coming to us all the way from the UK. And he's here to talk to us about web security and content security policy and all kinds of other fun and terrifying security acronyms. Um, <laughs> Scott is a friend of mine. We've run into each other at a number of conferences all over the world. He's a web security advocate. Um, he uh, runs ReportURI and securityheaders.com and does a whole bunch of other blogging in the security space. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, appreciate you being on the show. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. So how we typically like to start off the show is get a little background on you and how you got into this crazy world that we're in. So like, what's your origin story? How did you get into this? Wow. Um, I mean, I've always been IT. Uh, so I've always been like a techie. I've always enjoyed playing around. Um, I graduated from my software engineering degree 10 years ago this year, actually. Holy crap. I was just been a decade. Um, I spent three years doing a software engineering degree and realized that I didn't want to be a software engineer as like my day job full time. Um, but I liked that I could use. Why, why not? It, it was more that, like, by the time that I'd done it, I, I kind of felt like I would like to use this knowledge and these skills to empower me to do a different job, like, better. I, rather than that being my job, I saw my coding abilities as, like, something to make me more efficient. So, you know, nowadays I throw together, like, little apps, programs, scripts. I automate stuff. It, it was, like... I want to use those skills to empower me, not to be my main output. And I guess it just never really kind of captured me that much where I felt that I could sit there and just code like all day, every day. Um, but I liked that it could make me very highly efficient in things that I did. And I guess that was kind of what took me down that path. Um, straight out of uni, hard to find work anyway. I was really not going to get a programming job. So I, I went into tech support, which just kind of made sense because I've been tech support for my whole family, my whole life. So <laughs> I, was, I was already pretty good at tech support. Um, and then, yeah, like I moved all the way up through the ranks in tech support. I then moved into QA because um, I like breaking things. That's so always been like a kind of started to tie me into the whole security thing because I went all the way through the ranks in QA, even up to like automated QA and QA lead. Um, so I was using like my software engineering skills plus my QA skills to, to make like super awesome automated test suites. And um, I kind of started hacking in my spare time, started thinking about security in our automated test suite, and I started building security-focused tests into our test automation environment. And that's when I like things really took off for me, which was like five, six years ago. I just super dove into it, and I started researching how to build security tests and I literally just threw myself in at the deep end and loved it and started doing research in my spare time. About four or five years ago now, I made some headlines with a really big story about a router from an ISP here that wasn't so secure. And then um, a company just came up to me and they were like, hey, like you're doing this in your spare time. Do you want to come get paid for this? I was like, yeah, I do. This sounds awesome. Uh, so that was like five years ago now. I uh, went to be a pen tester for a few years, then went into contracting. Um, and then literally like three and a bit years ago now, I, I was like, hey, I heard about this thing called CSP, and it's the ability for like browsers to block attacks and report when attacks happen. And they can send you this information in real time. And I was like, I want to deploy this to my website. It sounds amazing. 
And then I Googled like CSP reporting service and there was none. And I spent like five minutes on Google, which means that it doesn't exist. If you can't find it on Google in five minutes, it literally doesn't exist. <laughs> um, so I built one for myself. And I whipped up this little site, this little side project. I'm sure like many developers and hackers and tinkerers out there will be like me, right? They've got like 25 little side projects that are all in various states of completion. Um, except Report Your Eye, the, the thing that I built just took off. Um, so that was three years ago. It was a free project. Anyone could use it. And, and it just grew and grew and grew until the point last year where we actually had to take investment and commercialize it because the only alternative was to close it down. It was just costing so much money. So three years ago, um, I started building it a year. Well, not even a year ago, actually. What is it? Like eight months ago, we took investment and commercialized it. And alongside that, I just do uh, kind of public speaking and a few other side projects and blogging. So it was like a totally non-planned, <laughs> totally non-planned route of my current situation. Lots of people say to me like, wow, when did you come up with this grand master plan? It's like, nope, just winging it, dude. Just winging it. <laughs> And somehow you've been able to wing it into becoming like this security expert for the BBC and shit now too. <laughs> so yeah, <it's, laughs> oh, I'm really fortunate. Um, I've been on the BBC a few times now. We've done a few programs. We did like a, a kind of a stunt hack almost with a, a live audience on camera. Uh, that was really good. And actually, I've literally just been speaking to the producer today. We're at DEF CON in like four or five weeks. We're doing another TV show at DEF CON with the BBC. Um, and I just I mentioned to you just before the show rolled up actually that I'm currently working on something that's super secret, a uh, very big security issue with a very um, a, a product that you really don't want to have security issues that is also going to be on the BBC soon. So it, it just kind of came about, you know. There's never been any plan that I just do what I enjoy, and I'm really kind of fortunate that it, it's rolled my way so far. Well, that's fantastic, man! Congratulations on all that. So you mentioned uh, along the way content security policy. So yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and what it is and why we need it? Yeah, so CSP, as I refer to it, if you see me on Twitter or see my blog, I, I talk about CSP a lot. Um, CSP's actually kind of like in its earliest form, been around for well over a decade now, actually, under a different name. It's actually created at Mozilla. Um, I forget the guy. Who was it at Mozilla now? I've got it. Robert Hansen in 2004. Uh, it's called Content Restrictions back then, and it was 2012 when CSP version 1 came out. Now, I guess like what it is. So essentially, it's just a whitelist for the things that your web pages are allowed to do. Like traditionally, you render a web page, and you send it to the browser, and then the browser just does what the page says, right? If it says, go fetch this image, it fetches the image. If it says, load and run this script, it will load and run this script. And the problem was... If it says to download this malware that sends keystrokes, it downloads my malware. Exactly, right? So if you've got a script tag that's like evil.com forward slash keylogger.js, the browser will be like, sure, just bring all that JavaScript <laughs> on there. Like, I just do what I'm told. The script tag says fetch it. You or I as a human can look at that with our, our context and say, oh, this doesn't look good. <laughs> but the browser doesn't have that context, that ability. And CSP is the start of you giving the browser that ability. So essentially what you do is you just write a little list. And in your content security policy, in your policy, you say, okay, like these are the domains that I load JavaScript from. So these are the only domains that you're allowed to load JavaScript from. And you send that to the browser. And you say, look, like this is what I expect to happen in a normal day. But if something outside of this happens, then I would like you to stop that from happening. 
So a very high-level content security policy is a whitelisting mechanism for content that your site can load, but also for things that it can do. So you say to the browser, hey, look, I load all of my images from here. I load my scripts from here, my styles, everything. That's what we call the fetch directive. So where can I get stuff? But then you can also say to the browser, right, you're only allowed to send form data to this endpoint. So you can actually say to the browser, like, if someone modifies my login form and it's trying to post to evil.com, nope. I only post forms back to myself, so don't send data anywhere either. And then you can do that with like the connect source, so like where can JavaScript make outbound connections to XML HTTPs. Um, you, you can really start to take control of essentially all the things the browser can do with your page and your site. And that's that's kind of really super cool because we've never, prior to CSP, we've never had the, the power to do this. We've never been able to to take control of things. It's just like we build our page and then we send it to the browser and it's like, bye, <laughs> you will toss this HTML over and like you, you, you go do your stuff. So with CSP now, you're, you're kind of bringing the browser in the loop. The browser knows what you expect to happen and it can make sure that that happens. So that's kind of the, the magic of CSP at a really high level. Where, where do you put this policy? Where does it go? Is it in the HTML? Or? Um, so you, you can do it in the HTML, um, but you actually just use a meta a meta tag for that. So it's a HTTP equivalent, like header equivalent. The ideal way to do this is a, a HTTP response header. So just like we've got you know, server header, cache control, most people are familiar with setting and configuring headers. Uh, CSP is just another HTTP response header. So you just define the header, content security policy, and then you write your policy in the header and send it over with the page that you want that policy enforcing on. Okay, so is it on the header of the originating document, or can it be on like sub resources as well? Um, so yeah, so like the the main policy, like the main delivery, I would say is on the document itself because that will apply to the document. But you can also set a content security policy on sub resources as well. There are kind of like more limited use cases there because there's. You know, if you think if you're delivering a HTML document, it can do a lot more stuff than if you were to just deliver an image, right? So you, you might have uh, different kind of considerations for those two, but most people just like build one universal policy for the site and then deliver it on all assets. What are, in your opinion, the biggest um, risks? What, what are the biggest things that CSP protects you from? You mentioned the, you know, the case of a login form. Um, mm. Like, is it preventing XSS? Is it like what? What is it? What is our scope here? I guess is is maybe. Yeah. So I, I mean, like the most powerful thing is definitely XSS for me because you can take control of script, and that is, you know, if an attacker gets content injection on your site, what are they going to inject? They're pretty much going to inject script, right? So this is the number one thing to lock down, and there's two kind of avenues that we need to think about there. The first one is an inline script tag. So all inline script tags are actually blocked in CSP because if you have an inline script tag in the page, the browser has no idea where that came from. Did you right. put it there? Did an attacker put it there? Did someone put that there? So what you have to do is inline scripts like that, you externalize them into a file and then load them from your domain. And that, that kind of action then gives the browser the information it needs because it can now check the domain against the whitelist. So it's like, ah, oh, he's loading it from himself. So that's fine. We'll allow it. Whereas if the source attribute says like evil.com, evil.com hopefully isn't in your whitelist. 
so if it's inline script, it's gone. And if it's loaded from an external location, you can hold that external location to the whitelist. And then you have full control of script that's executing on your origin. Awesome. So if, um, if, the, if all the inline scripts are blocked, there's a lot of um, a lot of tools and a lot of patterns have a have a mechanism where you set like a variable or a configuration or some some uh, bootstrapper. It's just like an inline strip, like the like yeah. setting up your GA variable for like Google Analytics or something like that. Or those are all inline things. How do you how do you do that in a CSP world? Uh, so the the first like I've been through this pain with all of my applications. I I know this uh, I know this hardship because and it kind of highlights the problem right in the you know, we have all of this this script sometimes that we, we don't know exactly what's going on with it. So the first thing is obviously externalize it, which is what I've done with my GA code. If you check my site, I just load ga.js, which has everything set. Um, the second option, there's like two additional options that, that CSP gives you. If you have to or want to run an inline script like that, what you can do is take the content of the script tag and then hash it. So get like the SHA-256 hash and you put that into the policy. And that says to the browser, hey, look, if there is an inline script block, when you get the page, hash the script. And if it matches this hash, then it's something I expect. And you can execute that. If it doesn't, then it's something I don't expect. And you can't execute it. So you could, if you wanted to, uh, use that mechanism. And then the other one, uh, so that's a CSP hash source, as we call it. The other one is a CSP nonce source. So inside uh, script tags you can also use nonces as well which is just like a random uh, nonce attribute added to script tags so you put the random value in the header and then you put the random value in the script tag and if those two things match then the browser is allowed to execute it if they don't match then the browser is not allowed to execute it but th so that's that's kind of like on the, the the super technical like edge case end of csp um hopefully like most people can kind of externalize load it from their own domain or uh, you know, load it from a third-party domain, like a CDN or something. But we can, if you have like those specific use cases, there are there, there's always a way to do it with CSP. Just the range of complexity will alter depending on your requirements. Right. So I, I can see like a performance impact, maybe. Like if I had a bunch of um, a bunch of like simple inline uh, configuration that was just inline before that just happened, and now I'm introducing like. A, a, a configuration script request that then downstream requests the real file later, like your GA that sets up your GA token and then requests GA later. Um, there's like a performance consequence of that. Is there is there a balance or, or what is the maybe the overhead of the CSP itself? Is there a factor there? Yeah, I mean, there's always a consideration. Like if you're changing it from how it is now, it's. Um, it really depends on your setup. So for, for me, for GA, um, like if I'm loading it from my own origin, then I'm using HTTP2, which means it's not setting up a new connection to pull down the sub-resource. It's going to, um, that will speed things up a lot, but there's also always kind of going to be that tiny little overhead as well, right? Like it's, if I mean, if you're inlining it, you could just hash it, which means the browser would also have to hash it, which... I don't really want to talk about the technical, the kind of the performance limitations of hashing something. I think we can all agree that they're probably negligible and, and not even measurable on, like a modern, on a modern system. But I think that we're pretty much at the place where I can say that you could do this and, and have like an, a totally not significant performance impact. Like I think that is a reasonable, um, a reasonable thing to say. So how you've you've talked about um, some of the stuff we can do with it. 
Um, but one of the coolest parts for me, which you briefly mentioned, was the reporting side of things. Mm. Um, how do how does the reporting work? I guess I should I should ask for everybody. Um, and are there um, utilities or libraries out there um, to provide you an elegant CSP reporting uh, interface? Um, so yeah, so the reporting mechanism, I'll just do a quick kind of overview. Essentially, you deliver this policy to the browser. So you say, here is my page, and here is the policy that this page should adhere to. And hopefully, like in 99.9% .9 of the scenarios, everything will be fine. The page won't do anything bad. It won't send data to bad places, and, and nothing actually happens. But in the scenarios where something does change and something happens that you said should not happen, let's say you're trying to load a piece of JavaScript from evil.com. So we've got this script tag here. First of all, the browser will block it because the browser will say, hey, evil.com, not in the whitelist, no script. That's good. Like we've we've prevented what is going to be an attack, a cross-site scripting attack. But the problem is, was that you as the host don't know. Right. right? Like but the browser out in the user's computer somewhere has taken this action, but you don't actually know. So reporting is a feature in CSP that you can enable that says, hey, when, when you do that thing, when you take this blocking action to protect my user, please tell me about it. And the browser will do that by dispatching a HTTP POST request that has a JSON payload. So you tell it where to send this thing, and it will send this JSON payload to you. Uh, so the JSON payloads themselves, you know, the schema is in the spec. You can go look at them. They have like defined fields that have specified values. So essentially, it's like a super simple concept, right? Hey, all we need to do is have an, a, an endpoint that can take JSON, and then we do stuff with the JSON. Um, so this is what Report Your Eye does. And the reason I set it up all those years ago is because I couldn't find a service that did this. You know, there are JSON ingestion endpoints, but CSP reports have specific value based on, on what they are and, and what they say. So, it, it, yes, you can just use some, you know, arbitrary kind of JSON ingestion and storage endpoint, but there's nothing CSP focused, which is why I built it. Um, in terms of... Other tools or libraries, like there's there's nothing CSP specific that I've seen people setting up and hosting themselves. Um, I know that Sentry can also take, um, I mean, Sentry can just ingest JSON and also does have some support for CSP. But the thing that we wanted to do was to, to really hone in on CSP and, and focus on that. So I think that any log, like you can just spin up an elk stack, right? And just suck all this JSON in yourself. It's... The problem with CSP is you can sometimes end up with a fire hose and the signal to noise can be quite poor because we've got proxies that interfere with pages, browser extensions that interfere with pages and all this other stuff in the ecosystem that can really muddy the water. And what I really want us to do is, is to try and, especially now we're at the scale that we are, is to use our, our position to, to try and filter that noise better. And this is a really exciting thing for me is actually we, we filter like way over 75% of reports. Uh, because we can just say, ah, you don't need to see any of this stuff. You just look at this stuff over here. Um, but to do any of this, to enable reporting, to enable CSP, you've got to have a policy, right? Like you need to know the policy for your website. And, and I've seen uh, Fiddler, if you use the web debugging proxy, they have a really cool extension in Fiddler where you could run that proxy your site. And then you just go like click all the pages all over your site and Fiddler would watch all the traffic and build you this CSP, which kind of works and it would certainly get you like huge, a huge amount of the way there and say, hey, this is all the stuff we saw. This is what you need. Um, 
But I just like that there was no clean solution. Some people tried to write like web crawlers. So you could just point it at your site and it would try and load like every page. And, and again, say, okay, you loaded script from all these places. You loaded images from all these places. But they never felt like complete solutions. And, you know, they the crawlers can't go through auth walls. And maybe you have different users with different account types that see different things. And I was just like, look, the only way to really do this is to use the visitors. So a few months ago now, we actually released a new tool called the CSP Wizard. And what you do is you deploy a policy onto your website that literally says block everything. So I want nothing on my website. But you deploy that in what we call report-only mode. So it's like a test mode for CSP where it doesn't actually block anything. So you can say, what would you do if I gave you this policy? Now, of course, the answer from the browser is we would just block all of the things. And it will send you a list of all of the things. So if you actually put that onto your production site, and what we do with customers is sometimes we say, put this onto your site for a week. Every single visitor that loads every single page in every single, like, different type of account and authentication state, and maybe you have geosensitive content or whatever it is, if every single visitor can literally at some point touch every single page on your site, they will all send their reports, and they will tell you what's on every single page that they load. So it's like, you know, here is literally, like, the superset of all of your visitors are the people that can literally crawl your website the most effectively because they, like, what actually hits the browser for every visitor everywhere is the ultimate source of information. So I built the wizard to do, I say, we built the wizard to do that because, again, it was really hard. You know, like, this technology is amazing. People need to use it, and I keep coming across all these pain points that people have. And all of our features recently have just been driven around, like, what's the biggest problem that people have, and then we'll tackle that next. And the wizard was literally the big one. Well, what, what's the next one? What is, what's the next problem? Like, what, what is the big problem with CSP? Why, why is adoption not as high as, as you think it should be? So we're now getting into the stages where it's really hard to, to retrofit CSP into legacy content is probably one of the first things. Um, and, and kind of the scary thing for, some, for, for, for me a lot and the stuff that we see is like we have no idea what we load on our site. <laughs> I'm like, well, this kind of this kind of highlights a problem, right? We work with a lot of big organizations, and they're like, dude, we literally don't know what we load across our whole website. So how do and, we write? And a lot of that? marketing like practice has been centered around that idea. Like Google Tag Manager is basically mm-hmm. around giving giving you know non technical people the ability to load anything arbitrary onto websites. Google Tag Manager is probably one of the biggest things that we come across as being a blocker for CSP. And and it's literally, and people say this to me all the time, it's like, hey, our marketing team have the ability to inject arbitrary script into our pages. And, you know, like I understand, I totally get the pain point around Tag Manager and I totally get the pain around making things like Tag Manager and CSP work together. But at the same time, I think what this is doing is it's people are slowly realizing, like, actually, our marketing team have the ability to inject arbitrary script into <laughs> our pages, right? And what I'm seeing constantly is like little pennies dropping everywhere because it's like, you know, we've just done this thing forever. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, like this Google Tag Manager, we just do this thing. And then they're like, actually, what if our marketing team want to inject malware or a keylogger, you know? And so it's kind of... What if Ken from accounting once was a bad actor and wanted to steal everybody's credit cards? He totally could. Oh, dude, and credit card theft. Like, how many times have we seen stuff like this recently? So I, 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 did you guys see the Ticketmaster thing recently? 
Oh, no, what did Ticketmaster no. do? Oh, well, t- technically, everything they do is bad, first of all. <laughs> yeah, they, I've literally just got my brand new credit card because of Ticketmaster because I got my card skimmed off their website. Um, so they loaded this third-party like uh, chatbot. It was like some AI chatbot. So they, they're like, hey, this is the other thing that everybody does. It's like, let's just load in a third-party JavaScript dependency and stick it straight on our page. And um, so they loaded this AI chatbot onto their site, and it you know just pops up the little chat window, and you can talk to the bot, and hopefully it can help most people. Except that third party got hosed, and their dependency was changed into a keylogger. Now Ticketmaster also loaded the AI chatbot on their payment page, and the AI chatbot is oh. now a keylogger. <laughs> so they had a keylogger, a JavaScript keylogger, running on their uh, payment page. And just going back a few months, there was um, another one called uh, Browse Aloud. So it's like a, another JavaScript library that does text-to-speech. So you drop the library on your page, and people can, you know, like visually impaired people can click the little speaker icon, and it would just read the page out. Great idea, fantastic product. I can see why, you know, 5,000 government websites around the world had it, except, again, they got hosed, and somebody added a coin miner onto the bottom of their library. So you load the text-to-speech library, and it also loads CoinHive as well. So it's kind of like we're seeing this a lot now where people are going after people's dependencies. Because if I wanted to hack those 5,000 government websites, that's a boatload of time and effort, right? But if I can just find like some little JavaScript library they load and they've got terrible security and no budget, and then I can modify their JavaScript, hey, I've now got script execution in 5,000.gov domains around the world. So it's, it's kind of like I think we're realizing that there's a few different things around this like script is really powerful it's it's a great opportunity things like tag manager thing like things like third-party dependencies yes it's hard to start to take control of these things but we're now starting to see what can go wrong when you don't i mean the worst thing that i ever did was i was being skimmed that's not the right word um someone was hot linking one of my javascript files from a demo and it was it it was a really I like pop- this is going already. Yes, yes. It was a very um popular um torrenting site. Um and so in my HD access file I did a redirect when it came from that uh domain and I just did a window.location equals and then my blog. And so I had I had my highest traffic day that day. Um <laughs> I, I should have done something with CoinHive, but no, what you're talking about is very real. And I think one of the other fairly significant problems um, is sort of relates to everything else, right? Where a lot of times programmers are in such a hurry just, just to get something to work. And when they get something to work, it's like, ah, I'm done in a way, right? That's why some things aren't very usable. A lot of things aren't accessible. Um, I think that security ends up taking a backseat to shipping sometimes, even though it shouldn't. And, and one thing, one thing that I'll add related to CSP is I was in a, uh, a dev um, sort of like conference talk thing. And I heard another developer say something to the effect of, well, how are we going to keep it secure? And like someone else on his team said, well, we have CSP for that. Right. What if your CSP gets hosed? Like the CSP isn't a, would you agree that CSP can get broken just as anything else can if somebody messes it up and then 
if you haven't coded properly for these things, you're still yeah. going to be in trouble? Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen, um, like, one of my pet peeves online is, is people keep publishing blog posts with, like, ah, oh, a CSP bypass. <laughs> and, um, and and it's not, like, and this will sound really pedantic until I explain my point. And it's like, they've not actually bypassed CSP, the mechanism. It's that the policy was slightly weak. So they, they found something that's technically allowed per the policy right. and therefore bypass all the protections of CSP. So I'm like, they've not actually bypassed CSP because that makes it sound like a bypass of the mechanism. Right. It was actually something that's allowed per the policy that has like fallen through a crack that someone's missed. So I'm like, I, I, I see what you meant, but it, it sounds wrong to me. It's like, that's just a weak <laughs> policy. Someone's overlooked. Um, like one of the things that happened recently was um, people were loading JavaScript libraries from a particular domain that was whitelisted, but this domain also hosted a slightly older version of the framework that had a vulnerability in it. So if you can get your script injection into that site, into the target site, you can still load JavaScript from that domain. And if they host old versions of frameworks, then you can pull in an old version with a vulnerability instead. And right. to me, that's not a CSP bypasses in the mechanism. That's a CSP bypasses in the policy wasn't sufficiently strong. So yeah, totally. Like you know, CSP is hard to get right, and then it's also hard to maintain on an ongoing basis because you, if you start pulling in another third-party dependency, you need to update the policy and have a process for that, and also remove so, your old ones. <laughs> so if it's if it's hard to write and, and hard to maintain, like how do we fix those problems? Like those seem, if if a lot of people are finding by, like not bypasses but like improperly structured CSP and and that sort of thing, is there? Is there like a gap or something that we need to fix with how how people define policies, or or is there a problem yeah. there if we're just not understanding it? And there's these problems. I think it's a couple of things. Like, there's definitely a problem there that we need to fix. Like, that's the number one thing. Um, when I first built Report UI, it was literally just about, hey, we want a, a scalable and reliable JSON injection endpoint. And, and we nailed that, and we've done that. And now it's like, okay, how do we get people to do this? So I mentioned the wizard for building the policy. And then like you say, now we're starting to look at literally like the next barriers that we come up against. So you know, one of the things that I'm trying to solve now is, is how do we make CSP easier? And I'm looking at a couple of features at the minute where if we're your reporting service, then we can look at all of your reports coming in. And if we say, hey, there's, there's this page on your website that suddenly started having this particular JavaScript file in there, we can ping you a little alert and say, we've noticed this thing. And then you might say, oh, that's actually supposed to be there. Yes, we've just deployed this new plugin, widget, whatever, on that page. So we're going to have very soon, this is a feature we're working on right now, actually, so you might even be able to see this very soon, is you can acknowledge that report and say, okay, add that to my policy. And what we do is right now, we already have the feature to store policy objects in your account. So it's like your current live policy for your site. And you can essentially modify that in real time with your reports. So if that little widget goes on a page and you start getting all the reports for it, you can say, oh, that's supposed to be there. Add that to my policy for me. And then we can give you your policy in a usable fashion. The next step from there is then how can we get your application to inject that policy or take that policy somehow? So we're, we're trying to come at this from both sides. And, and I'm currently messing around with a really awesome feature on Cloudflare called Workers, which is where you can execute JavaScript on the CDN. Um, I'm actually trying to close that loop. So the reports will come in and we'll be like, hey, this widget thing is supposed to be there. Accept it. We'll update your policy. And then your CDN will take a copy of your policy and put it onto all of your pages. 
So we can actually completely close that loop and, and go from we have no policy to we've built your policy and now we can just go put that in your application. And then that you know, like that's that's the thing that we're just desperately trying to push towards because right now this is too hard to do. Um and I just, you know, we we just want to keep finding the pain points and just keep smashing down those barriers because I don't want everyone in the world to have to become like a crazy security expert and do all of these. And it's it's just too much, right? Like we we need to make security easy. And I want to make CSP like clicky buttons on a website easy. That's my goal. That's where we need to be because people aren't going to deploy it at scale until it's literally clicky buttons on a website. So the, yeah, the for sure. faster and harder we can push to that, the better. <laughs> That, I mean, that's a big problem with security overall is that so much of it, so much of the, the information that comes out of the security community is riddled in acronyms or, or deep knowledge or, you know, frankly, there's a little bit of shaming that just comes out of it. of like, oh, if you're not doing that, you're silly, blah, blah, blah. How do you, like, what's the state of, of this overall? Like, there's so many acronyms around security on the web. Like, which things should we be paying attention to? Which things are like, you should definitely be doing this? Which things are like, eh. Maybe we're you know we're five years off from when that needs to be there. What, what would you say is the the current operational things that the technologies that we should be using? Uh, so number one right now has to be HTTPS. Um, we're seeing a huge drive towards this, and this isn't just you know one or two organizations. This is literally like the whole web is moving towards HTTPS by default now. Um, I publish a report like every six months on the state of the top one million websites on the web. And the HTTPS metric is just like, whoosh, off we go, because we're, we're making such progress now because there's now incentives. You know, we've got like positive SEO from Google, better performance with things like Brotley compression and H2. So there, it's not just like security people yelling at organizations like, oh, you should do this thing because it's more secure. It's like, hey, we need people to do this thing. What do we do? Give them an incentive, right? Like hang out a carrot on the stick rather than hit the people with the stick. And guess what? Like more people do it when you use the stick to hang a carrot off instead of hit them with. And, you know, we're, we're seeing this huge drive right now. Chrome actually literally in what was it? 12. So literally in the next week or two, Chrome will start marking all HTTP sites with the not secure thing in the address bar all the time because this is how serious it's getting now. We need to get to an encrypted web. And, you know, for the rest of the acronyms, the web was built in a very different time from now and bad people keep doing bad things. So we have to keep coming up with new acronyms to stop the bad people doing the bad things. So we have amassed quite a, a selection of acronyms now. Um, HTTPS, definitely number one. Coupled with that is another one called HSTS, which is HTTP, Strict Transport Security. Um, after that, I would then say genuinely CSP. Um, CSP has a lot of other features outside of content whitelisting because if you take your HTTP site and move it to HTTPS, you can end up with this thing called mixed content. So you've got your HTTPS page and then a HTTP image like whacked in the middle, which breaks everything. Um, so with content security policy, there's another thing to help you fix that. Um, so CSP has got like 50 features. You can literally just use one. Right, so like this is the other thing with CSP. Quick caveat: people are like, wow, look at this policy; it's crazy, insane. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Just do like this one thing. Just take and turn on one feature at a time. Um, so CSP can help you deploy HTTPS and make that a lot smoother and a lot easier. Um, and then after that, 
I would say that so kind before of you, before you move on, you, mm. you mentioned HSTS. Can you briefly give us a rundown on what that is and yeah. what it is? So HSTS, HTTP Strict Transport Security. Um, the web was built and it was HTTP and all browsers existed when the web was only HTTP. And we are currently seeing a huge drive to HTTPS, but the vast majority of websites are still on HTTP. So um, let's say open up a, a tab in your browser right now. You type in twitter.com and hit enter. The browser needs a URL, right? Like it needs the scheme on there because there is no scheme. It just got twitter.com. So the browser will add HTTP colon slash slash twitter.com because HTTP is the default scheme to make that a URL. So the browser, every single browser, even today, will default to HTTP. Now, if you send out that HTTP request and there's a bad actor on the network, you're host, right? Like they're gonna serve you some fake login page and you're toast, you're absolutely toast. So HSTS, like one of the main features is changing that default. If you have a website and you turn on HSTS on your website, it says to the browser, we only do secure talking from now on. So from now on, from every single point forwards, you must do HTTPS. And that's actually, even if the user manually types HTTP, the browser will force it and say, nope, this website has said secure only, you must be secure. We will not allow you. Even if it's like a, a link that you click, you have a bookmark, it doesn't matter. If twitter.com has set HSTS, the browser will force the user to be secure in their communications at all costs. It will make it happen. So, so, so I mean, I, I, I like the concept. However, I got burned on this. Like, <laughs> I, I'm actually a little- What did you do wrong? I, no, I'm, I didn't do shit wrong. I didn't do shit wrong. For forever, forever, I've been using .dev domains. Top level domains from local. Just for local shit, right? Like, here's here's this thing .dev and that thing So you've been dev. breaking the rules for a long time. Okay, carry on. No, no, no. <laughs> I, was doing, I was doing this before it was a rule. They, you can't okay. just make up, Google doesn't just get to make up a rule. They're like, oh, we own When you buy a TLD, you do. <laughs> Dude, if you buy .tod, you can, you can do whatever you want with that thing. And, and the fact the fact that they bought .dev didn't phase me at all. I don't care. Like, cool. I'm just never going to visit one of your sites. So you're not going to name your site like Todd's Awesome Demo.dev. But when they, when they used, I believe, HSTS to pin the whole top-level domain to their search, that, no, that, that was, to me, that was a bridge too far. Now I, I change everything. I'm a ton of, like, refunds. So, yeah, so that I'll, um, just to kind of clarify on the point there, so HSTS is like a per-site mechanism, and you deliver it as a response header. They have this other thing called HSTS preloading, which is what you've just kind of alluded to there. So... The, the problem with HSTS is it's what we call a tofu mechanism, which is trust on first use. If I've never been to Twitter's website, how do I know that Twitter has HSTS turned on? And the answer is that I can't. So the first time I go to Twitter, it would be HTTP. And then I would say, ah, they've got HSTS. Now we do HSTS from now on. So to get around that, there was something called preloading where Twitter can basically request to have that domain name built into the source code of all of the browsers. So if you, and you can literally go, I have a cheat sheet on my website that links to this. You can look in the Chromium source and there's literally this huge list of domains that says all of these have HSTS turned on. So the browser knows that before it's ever even connected because it's literally baked into the source code. Twitter.com has HSTS. 
in literally in the browser source. So that's a really good system. It started a few years ago, but people are probably already thinking, well, that doesn't scale because you're literally just writing an ever-growing list of domains into the browser. And the answer is no, that does not scale. Um, so kind of one of the solutions, one of the kind of like a workaround, this kicks the ball into the long grass a little bit, but it is a solution in the short term, was, hey, what if people that owned TLDs said, we will preload our TLD? So if you go to that same list in the Chromium source or any other browser source code, further down the list, it says like .foo, .google, .dev. And what that means is every single domain on .dev is, is classed underneath that policy there as a HSTS host, as we call them. So you cannot have a .dev domain that does not have HSTS set by extension. See, and, and I understand their point of view. What I don't, what, what I wanted is that if you're going to hard code in like domain specific rules, there should be an options panel where I can turn that off, where I can say, no, I own .dev. I don't give a shit about your top level domain. I'm going to turn it back off for me. Like, get over it, man. No, get over no, it, man. No, no. Dot local. <laughs> I'm going to right? fuck like, it. I actually, I'm going to fork it. And I'm I have a book. <laughs> you, should, you should get this book, and you should read this book. It's called Who Moved My Cheese? Troy Hunt recommended it to me. And you should read this book, and I will say no more. <laughs> Come at me, bro. It's... Uh, uh, you know, I, all right, all right. So please continue with the, uh, the ongoing list of acronyms. Yeah, so we've got HTTPS, then HSTS, then CSP. And then after that, there's like a whole kind of selection of things that you can use. Um, quick and easy and really good bang for buck, I would say CAA, something called Certificate Authority Authorization. Um, to enable that, you literally have to set a DNS record, which hopefully for pretty much everyone is like super easy and super free. Um, so that's always a good one. Um, and then there's like a, a whole raft. What, what does of, that do for us? Oh, sorry. So for CAA, um, right now in the world, if I want to get a certificate for like toddgardner.com, I go to a certificate authority and I say, hey, I'm toddgardner.com. Give me a cert. And it's the certificate authority's job to prove or disprove that I am you. Right? So like that puts that burden on them. But the point is that me as like a complete stranger, I can go and apply for that certificate and, and you have like no say in that process. So with CAA, when you create that DNS record, what you do is you say, look, these are the CAs that I permit to issue certificates for me. So only Komodo or VeriSign or Let's Encrypt or whoever. So what you've done is like you've narrowed down the scope of CAs that are authorized. So CAA, Certificate Authority Authorization. You authorize specific CAs to issue certificates for toddgardner.com. And now as like the bad guy, if I was going to try and trick someone to give me that certificate and I wanted to impersonate you, I would go to like the most terrible CA in the world, right? I would go to some tiny backwater CA in some weird country that had terrible security and process. Whereas if you've only whitelisted like less encrypt and verisign, you're forcing me as the bad guy to go to one of those two. So you've, you've narrowed the attack surface down. You know, CAA is, a lot of people kind of are like, oh, oh, it's a weak mechanism, or people can just disregard it, or, and I'm like, well, yeah, they, they can, but you're getting, like, huge levels of protection for setting a DNS record, right? It's as free as it's going to get and as easy as it's going to get, and, you know, you can have a really significant impact on your, kind of, your hour security posture by setting the records.
I had not heard of that one before. That's really interesting. It is. It, you know, it came into effect last year. So all certificate authorities are required to abide by what they say. So if I set one on scotthelm.co.uk and I say only let's encrypt, and then, you know, no other CA is allowed to issue a certificate for my domain apart from let's encrypt. So, you know, of course, it's not a hard technical measure. If a CA chooses to ignore it, of course they can. But if we're at the point where a CA is literally choosing to go rogue, we're all screwed anyway, right? So <laughs> it's like, let's just not think about that ridiculous scenario because if a CA has literally gone rogue or is being compelled by a nation state, then, you know, that's not what CAA is there for, right? CAA is there to stop little things slipping through the cracks. Um, and it's literally, I mean, I can't stress this enough. It's just a DNS record. Set a DNS record, win. I like easy and that's easy. So what are the biggest problems that you're seeing that we don't have good solutions for? Um, CSP. <laughs> I mean, this is literally my life's mission right now. Um, I, I mean, I've done a lot of work around HTTPS stuff as well. I guess, I mean, there, there's so many, right? Like I, I started doing training a couple of years ago. People that follow me will have seen that I recently teamed up with Troy Hunt to start delivering his hacking workshop. So he has a two-day hacking workshop where... It's like, you know, it's, it's really intensive two days, and, but it's also very introductory level to a wide array of subjects um, because education is one of the other big problems that we come across as well. So, you know, it's like trying to distribute that kind of foundation level knowledge to as many people as possible, trying to build tools to make these technologies easier to deploy. I write blogs that hopefully are simple enough for people to understand and be useful. It, you know, just trying to tackle this from as many different fronts as as I can, because I think, you know, security is a real problem. And right now it's too hard and we need to make that easier. And we need to, to share this information and knowledge. And I mean, man, pick a, pick an issue, right? We've, we've got like a dozen. Um, I'm just trying to do my bit to tackle the things that, that I'm kind of passionate about, like HTTPS, CSP, uh, you know, basic training kind of stuff. It's all, um, it all comes from the same pot of issues that we have. I saw uh, a report uh, the other day that uh, cyber liability insurance is actually a booming market because with all of the bad press that you get, uh, companies are scared and so the premiums can be higher, but the actual consequences are actually um, becoming less. So the actual financial consequences of this thing are actually pretty minimal. And so insurance companies are making tons and tons of money off of cyber liability insurance, and a bunch of new companies are jumping into that market. Yeah, I've heard of I've you know, I've heard of cyber liability insurance, like cyber, cyber, cyber. You throw a cyber on it, right? It's liability insurance, it's a million dollars. Cyber liability insurance, two million dollars, because it's got cyber on the beginning. You gotta add blockchain yeah. for another couple million and then <laughs> So if we write your insurance policy onto the blockchain. Right, um, right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think any <coughs> cyber liability insurance policy, if you took that and, and did, you know, some kind of fundamental training for your, your staff base and sent them to some conferences and, and stuff, I reckon you could probably get a better return on the investment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I don't know. I think maybe it makes sense for some people to have, we saw a thing recently. What was uh, was it? Trustwave. I want to make sure I get the right name there. But um, someone that like certified someone as compliant and they weren't, and they're now getting hosed for that. 
I've not really kind of followed along with it. I think that you could spend right now, most organizations are at a point where there's much better things to spend that kind of money on than insurance policies. Uh, like, some some like, organizations that remain nameless are required by other organizations to hold certain amounts of cyber liability insurance. Oh, uh, yeah, I've seen and heard about things like this before. <laughs> it may or may not be something that I'm familiar with. I can neither come <laughs> um, But no, yeah, it's, um, I, I just think that's the way that it's going. And I don't know, is that a sign of the ecosystem maturing that we're getting to the point where insurance providers now have policies for cyber breaches? Or is it just that breaches are happening so often that you know, people are like, damn, we can't stem the flow. Like, let's just get insurance and, and protect against the risk that way instead of the other way. I don't know. Maybe that's being a pessimist in me. <laughs> so lately, you've been uh, tweeting a lot about uh, an argument around HTTPS, an HTTPS kerfuffle, as I describe it. Kerfuffle. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Um, it's kind of weird, right? Because, like, so... I'm a huge advocate for HTTPS. I think that all web traffic should be encrypted and we should just relentlessly keep working towards that because it fixes a lot of problems along the way and then enables further security things to be built on top of that, right? Because like, if the if the connection between the browser and a website is not secure, then we have nothing to build other security on top of. It's like It's like step one in making a website secure. If you can't talk to it without people screwing with stuff, then what else? Like, why are we here? So I'm, I'm doing as much as I can to help that cause, um, you know, which is a, a, like the, a tiny, you know, grain of sand on the beach of other people and organizations. And Google's been a huge part of that recently. You know, they've, they've given SEO boosts in uh, their search results. Their Chrome browser is doing fantastic work around the UI and the feedback and the indicators and everything right now. And... You know, Google's kind of using their current position to do good, to drive a, a cause that is that is good for everybody. But some people, A, don't like that Google's saying stuff and making people do things. Um, and B, some people, I think, just like hating on the big guy. Like, you know, Google is the big organization. They are the big dog. Uh, so we'll just rage against the machine. And they don't like HTTPS. They think that being, you know... They say being forced. I think being strongly encouraged is probably a better term. No one's being forced to do it, right? Like you can keep your website on HTTP and it will still work fine next month, exactly the same. So I think forced is the wrong term because there's no actual requirement to do it. It's just that there are more and more incentives to do it. So, you know, there's been a lot of people um, saying that HTTPS is bad or that they're being forced to do it or they should just be left alone on their little corner of the internet. Um, and, you know, I just try and to bring some valid arguments and, and reasons against that to the discussion, which usually actually just gets me blocked. So <laughs> I don't know if it's that we're getting better at explaining this to people or I just don't see them anymore because they all blocked me. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's, this is the way that the web's going. And I actually found some interesting stats. I can't remember if it was, like, one of these, like, HTTP archive sites or some, some kind of, you know, huge stats engine that goes back forever. Maybe it was Netcraft. And anyway, I was looking at this graph, and it was like the number of sites on HTTPS over time. And I literally ran the query for like as far back as it will go. And that line for like way over a decade has only been going one direction. And that direction is up. You know, so long before I got involved with this, long before even Google got involved with this, 
more and more websites every day are going to HTTPS. And all we've done is accelerate the rate at which we're doing that. You know, it's not a new thing that the web is moving towards encryption. It's just that we're now moving towards encryption faster than we ever have. But it is still the same thing, right? Like we, we're just stepping on the gas, you know, <laughs> it's not like it's a new requirement. And luckily SSL certificates have gotten much, much more, uh, much, much cheaper, I should say. Mm -hmm. I love my early days of coding when an SSL certificate was like, it was like a hundred bucks. It costs so much. And um, GoDaddy back then came out, hey, ours is only $30. But I mean, now you can use things like Cloudflare and um, yep. other things for free SSL. I wasn't sure if you were an SSL salesman there for a minute there, but I remembered <laughs> that it was 2018 no. and it doesn't cost that much anymore. <laughs> So people, I get this all the time, right? It's like, oh, so, you know, so where are you selling the certificates? And it's like the number one thing <laughs> I advocate for me personally is let's encrypt. And let's encrypt literally give them away for free. So the price of DB certificates <laughs> over time has only been going down. Right. And I think that any CA that didn't see that a long time ago, that this was just a race to the bottom, um, kind of missed a trick there. And then two, two and a bit years ago now, Let's Encrypt popped up. And certs are now free. And I appreciate they're not for everyone. You know, I'm not saying Let's Encrypt is a universal solution. But Let's Encrypt was a solution for a hell of a lot of people where there was a cost barrier and now there is none. Right. Well, I think that's a pretty fantastic place to end it. Um, so how we typically end our show is we go around and each of us uh, pick out a core takeaway that we think was, uh, was, was really a strong ending point for this. So, David, what did you think? I love discussions like this because they scare people about what they don't know. Um, I think that I think that a lot of developers, um, I think a lot of people are focused on getting things to work first, and then everything around it is just an added bonus. Like I said, accessibility, uh, UX, uh, but security is something that every developer needs to know a bit of. And CSP. I've worked with at Mozilla. It's awesome. I can't recommend it enough. And luckily, it doesn't take that much time to learn and implement. Um, of course, you can get yourself in trouble if you don't know what you're doing. But I think that this discussion of CSP is a really good start for people who haven't heard of it to be able to tighten up their websites. Um, and I would need to follow my own advice because I'm getting Fs everywhere. So either... Um, <laughs> The tools are broken, or I have some work to do. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, CSP is really awesome, and people should look into it. What about you, Todd? Uh, well, maybe a couple of things. Maybe that um, maybe I'm unnecessarily angry at cheese moving, since nobody seemed to agree with me on the dot. Get over it. <laughs> so may maybe I'm unfairly angry about that. But I am. I cannot deny that I am angry. <laughs> um, I'll echo on. Uh, uh, I was a little surprised we didn't talk about SRI at all, uh, sub resource integrity. Hey man, if you want to blow up the time, I can. Uh... We do not. Uh, we're, we are at time. Um, HSTS, HTTPS, you should totally be doing it. There's no reason really not to. I mean, quick fire ones then. So SRI, CT as well. Definitely check out CT. If you Google my name and then SRI or my name and then CT, you'll find them. They're, they're super cool. Uh, kind of additional features for us as well. All right, it's your turn. What's what's your wrap-up pitch and anything else you want to plug? 
Um, yeah, no, really. I mean, I've, you know, check out Report Your Eye. We have a free account. If you want to try CSP and the Wizard, you can literally sign up free, no credit cards and all that crap. We're not going to spam you. Um, you know, try it out and, and, and please try it out. And if you think, I don't know what to do here or this thing is still hard or whatever, then just come yell at me on Twitter because I, I really, I want to make this easier. And and kind of to, to, to hook in what David said about everybody needs like that basic security knowledge. I think that's right. Everyone does need to have like kind of tiny thing in the back of their mind, but I also want to make that as small as possible because security's just got to kind of like slip into the, the process, not what I feel like it kind of does sometimes now, which is just like bulldoze its way in and yell really loud that everyone needs to pay attention to me. So... You know, try it out. Um, I thought that I was the standard MO of security people. <laughs> I, um, I won't comment because there's probably a lot of security people going to watch this afterwards, I know. Um, but, you know, like we, we've desperately got to make this stuff easier. And, and that's kind of, that's my goal. You know, it's, um, that's why security headers is free. My blog is free and openly licensed. Report Your Eye was free for like two and a half years until I literally couldn't afford it. And now we still have a, a very generous free tier. It, it's like... You know, go use these things. These tools are there to help you. They're, they're there to, to, to help you take those first steps. And none of them are finished. <laughs> like that's the one thing that I will add, right? Tell us where we can make these better. And I will, and we will. This is what we, this is what we do. Well, I think that's a fantastic wrap up. Um, thank you so much, Scott, for taking time and coming on the show. No um, we do not have a, pre, a, a topic yet for next week, but we will figure it out, and we'll be back next Thursday with another web development or design topic. Uh, until then, I'm Todd Gardner coming at you from KCDC, and my co-host... David Walsh. Adios. Adios, everybody. Bye, everyone. Script and Style Show is recorded and produced by David Walsh and Todd Gardner. We'll see you next time on Script and Style.